0: He joins us right now from Reason Magazine. He is the editor-at-large. We're going to talk a little bit about free speech in this country and a lot of people concerned that we're losing that, right? Good morning, Nick. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, how long have you been involved now in Reason Magazine? Well, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, on October 1st, it'll be
1: 28 years.
0: So the answer is a hell of a long time. Yeah. Now, people, some people, I mean, it's not like, unfortunately, uh, like People Magazine or Newsweek. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's more of a, well, you know, I don't even want to say second tier magazine. It's just not as popular. But uh, tell us what Reason is all about. Yeah, we're,
1: uh, it was established in 1968 and it started as a monthly political, uh, and culture magazine. So we, we talk about politics, culture, and ideas from a small L libertarian, uh, perspective. Our subtitle or slogan is free minds and free markets. We believe, uh, that society, uh, societies work best when people are given you know, maximum freedom, um, and held accountable both for you know their own lives as well as uh you know being good uh stewards of their lives
0: yeah so it's not just self-interest it's got to be rational self-interest i mean you can't just do anything yeah, you want absolutely. but if you're not hurting anybody by doing what you yeah. want you should be able to do what you want
1: for the most part absolutely you know that's or that's the starting point of all kind of discussions and then we talk about you know, what are the institutions, what are the mindsets, what are the sensibilities that work best in that? We tend to be, you know, uh, in favor of more immigration, in favor of drug legalization, we're against war, uh, we're for, um, you know, letting businesses kind of innovate and experiment as much as possible. And we like, uh, you know, kind of the touch on what you were getting at, uh, you know, anything that's peaceful, uh, people should be allowed to you know, live the way they want with the you know broadest discretion possible.
0: You have an article in the upcoming issue of Reason Magazine called "Self Cancellation, Deplatforming, and Censorship," and uh, you know these are very concerning issues to people right now. Um, you know, with the cancel culture out there right now and in fact you make a note in your in your article that kind (laughs) of it states that you know cancel culture may be the way the the roaring 20s of this century are defined just like uh, flappers and bathtub gin define the roaring 20s of a century ago or leisure suits in the 1970s do you really think it's a fad or do you think this is going to going to be here for a long time
1: well it's yeah I, I it it is more than a fad, but it's also you know currently strong right now, and by cancel culture, um you know what I'm talking about is not people criticizing each other on social media and other kind of uh formats, but it's people who are seeking to delegitimize other people's rights and abilities to talk or to speak or to work um it's really about um you know as, as I say in the article. It's not about somebody calling me a jerk on Twitter. It's about somebody not even interested in reading my work or engaging it, but putting together a coalition of people to tell my employer to fire me, to tell people to shun me, and to not even engage certain kinds of ideas, but rather to just dismiss them out of hand
0: and silence people. And you write that cancel culture operates on at least three different levels. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, in the article, what it, it's a, the subtitle is A Taxonomy of Cancel Culture, and I talk about it. Uh, you know, there's the personal level or the individual level uh, where, you know, either individual people often self-cancel, uh, which is disturbing when you see people, you know, acknowledging that they have done, uh, you, know, in, you know, incredible harm to people by tweeting something or some such thing, uh, and they apologize for it, and they go away, or, or they get targeted. Um, you know, to say, like, we got to get rid of this person. We're going to shake them off uh of social media. Uh, when uh, Chris Novoselic uh, a year ago plus uh, said something mildly uh, in favor of democracy uh, that was perceived as pro-Trump, he was hounded off of social media. You know, that's kind of weird. Uh, there's also the platform level where uh, different platforms, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, decide to kick people off, um, you know, which is their right as private businesses, but is also concerning when they do that over arbitrary uh, or misunderstood rules. Uh, and then there's the, you know, the, the largest level or the most serious, which is the government level uh, of censorship, of where we have now, you know, by the New York Times count, there's over 38 states uh, with over 100 laws that are seeking to restrict the ways in which uh media platforms operate. Sometimes uh you know it'll it'll there's a there was legislation in Colorado seeking to um, you know uh, criminalize hate speech and create a kind of commission for social media that the you know the legislature in Colorado would essentially license social media companies and say this is acceptable speech this is not. On the flip side, you have people in Florida like Ron DeSantis, the, you know, popular Republican governor who passed signed legislation saying that, uh, certain types of social media platforms would not be allowed to moderate content or kick certain people off. Uh, that's bad too. It's, a, it's the flip side of cancel culture where we're saying, uh, you know, the government, people in government saying that, uh, companies can't run their businesses the way they want to. So it's, it's all of those things. And the point of my article is that they, kind of, um, you know, mix with each other and they embolden one another and they kind of synergize into, you know, choking off free and open expression, which I think is extremely important to any kind of successful society.
0: It's gotta be tough for you and uh, a lot of us that are, uh, you know, big proponents of free speech and, uh, and a government staying out of affairs, uh, to see people calling for, uh, you private businesses like twitter and facebook to be regulated to regulate free speech to regulate how they can run their businesses i mean i'd be the first one to say that i'd like to punch these guys in the face for some of the stuff they've done but still they have a right to be in business and if we start censoring them from a government standpoint we're just we're no better yeah
1: and, uh, you know, what's particularly troubling um, is that all of the major uh, tech companies have talked about how it's the time to regulate. Um, Facebook, even, in a particularly disturbing uh, set of ads, they, uh, you know, they talk about how the last time the Internet had, uh, you know, uh, federal legislation aimed at it, you know, kind of overall federal legislation was in 1996. And they say, you know, a lot has happened in 25 years. And, you know, we've grown up. They have people who are 25 years old talking about how much the world has changed. And Internet regulation has to change. So what we're also witnessing, and this is common in almost every industry, the people in the industry, the leaders at Google, at Facebook, at Twitter, have said, yeah, it's time to regulate. We're going to help you write those regulations because we know our business better than you do. And, um, you know, those regulations are going to be written with the market leaders in mind and help them, you know, kind of maintain their market position. So it gets, it gets very disturbing very quickly.
0: Sure. It's, and, and when companies have come along with a new platform like Parler, uh, they've been stopped Mm -hmm. or derailed, uh, by the companies that are in power. Yeah.
1: Um, and you know, I talk about Parler in the, uh, in the article and there were some legitimate technical issues that um, you know uh, that crop up in parlor but this is a conservative uh, you know kind of alternative to Twitter or Facebook um, and what happened was for you know for years liberals were saying if you don't like Twitter if you don't like YouTube if you don't like Facebook go build your own a company comes along and does that and then uh, you know, people start saying, you know, the the Congress started investigating Parler, you know, over January 6th, and they found that there was no connection. There was no reason to think that. But, you know, uh, uh, Amazon Web Services, which host back-end things, kicked them off. App stores at like Google and Apple wouldn't carry the app, uh, not because of technical issues, ultimately, I think, but because of the ideological component. And that's, You know, that's screwed up. Again, in many of these instances, those companies have the right not to do business with people, but then don't pretend that you are somehow interested in free and open expression. Uh, The good news for Parler, such as it is, is that, you know, it's back online and it's doing what it does. Um, You know, it turns out that it's not particularly popular, even among conservatives. But there's so much bad faith argumentation going on where conservatives will say, you know, if we're talking about a cake a Christian cake baker who doesn't want to bake a cake for, uh, you know, a gay wedding, Christians will say, or conservatives will say that you should not force them to do that. But then when it comes to social media, if a social media company says, I don't want this person on my platform, conservatives will say, no, you must have them on. That's what the law in Florida did. And there's other Florida laws like in Texas doing similar things or trying to do similar things. But then you have liberals who are saying you have to bake the cake. Um, and then when people, you know, when, and you have to build your own Twitter. And then when they do, they try to sneak at that. Just so much bad faith argumentation going on.
0: You know, I, when I was a kid in junior high, I had a teacher who pretty much instilled the uh you know, the reverence and importance of free speech in this country, and he was pretty liberal and a card-carrying member of the ACLU, and... Mm. Uh, and now the ACLU has become a cancer, cancer. Uh, I mean, a cancel culture, uh, left-wing, communist organization with no, it's seemingly no reverence for free speech anymore. Depending on whether they like it or not, I mean, who is left to fight this battle besides Nick Gillespie and Reason Magazine?
1: Well, you know, I will just say, uh, you know, I don't think the ACLU is a communist organization, and there is a strong fight within that organization over whether or not free speech, the First Amendment, is the most important thing or being sensitive to people. Um, And and it's disturbing as hell to see the primary, you know, the, the group, as you were talking about, You know, that absolutely upheld the value of free speech and the right of free speech under the First Amendment and voluntary association and things like that. Now, oftentimes taking the side of trying to shut down speech, uh, and free expression. It's incredibly disturbing. And you ask besides reason and libertarians, you know, what, one thing that is interesting is that they're, as, as Kind of the conventional political parties and the conventional political positions of liberal and conser- uh, liberal or progressive and conservative start to get more extreme. You find more and more people in the middle, and so you have kind of people who are uh, kind of general liberals like Barry Weiss, who left the New York Times and started a really good um, uh, publication on Substack coming out really strongly in favor of free speech uh, regardless of uh, its you know perceived offensiveness and then you also have people you know on the right people like George Will who over the past few years has come out as a staunch defender of free and open expression so as the the two kind of traditional endpoints or you know on the on the spectrum get more extreme and more kind of crazy uh, you end up seeing a lot more people in the middle joining libertarians in favor of free speech and open expression. Because, you know, if you're not allowed to think freely and talk about that, you can't make your ideas better. And we live in a, you know, in a kind of defensive, stultified, repressed society. And no no progress in ideas and science and technology and living in the arts. It's just impossible. So, I I'm, you know, I'm confident this is bad stuff. No question about that, but also that people will rise to the challenge and kind of realize, do you want to live in a world where everything you say can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion and possibly if these laws get passed, you know, in actual uh, legal cases? Or do you want to live in a world where, you know, you're free to make mistakes but have real and open conversations? I think we'll choose the latter.
0: So I hear you saying two things. One, there's still hope for the ACLU. And two, uh, it may be a good time for a third party to get their act together and be a real player in the political arena.
1: Uh, One would hope, whether it's a third party or just a recasting of the current parties, Uh, you know, both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are in serious trouble. Uh, They don't have coherence. Um, And uh, so hopefully people will take them over and steer them in better directions. Um, you know, and I'm always looking forward to whether it's the Libertarian Party, uh, which I'm not affiliated with, but, uh, you know, which I'm hopeful for, or other parties kind of rising to the to the fore.
0: Check out Reason Magazine, uh, Nick Gillespie, editor-at-large. We appreciate your time this morning.
1: Thanks so much for having me.